Today's word comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and all authority. This is the word of the Lord. We are in part 15 of our series on biblical justice. And um, one thing I want to say about this is, in so many ways, as I was prepping this week's message, I was thinking, I prepared 14 weeks to learn about biblical justice so that I could say what I need to say today. If you haven't heard any of the previous messages, just a little apologetic, um, this is going to be a strong message. And I need to talk about something, um, something that's really, something really dangerous that's happening in our culture. And, um, and if you haven't heard any of the previous messages, it might just seem like, gosh, this pastor's just coming on strong. <laughs> what is this? Right? Um, but I hope that if you have heard, you know, if you've been tracking with us, we've been building in your mind God's vision for justice. And I hope you can see that there's some complexities, but it's actually not that difficult. God is such a good God. He doesn't make it hard for us. And um, so what I'm going to do today is take you into a message that I've called Not Captive to Ideology. It's explicitly said in the Bible, do not be captive to ideology. It's said in in, in our text. Um, And I'll unpack that a bit. And then I'm going to apply, I'm going to apply 14 works of con- weeks of content. And so you can see, I hope you can see, that what I'm going to say in, in, part, in parts of this message isn't just coming out of nowhere. It's not, it's not like just a bunch of um, you know, opinions from a guy, right? Uh, I certainly hope you don't think, it's like, well, this, here, here we go, this, he's going to talk about something political, um, I said previously, that's not my job. Okay? My job is not to talk about politics. Okay? My job is to talk about the Bible. And I hope you can see that when I talk about something which some people may perceive to be political, maybe you might per- could perceive to be political today, that actually I'm applying the Bible. <laughs> and after weeks and weeks of having been fed, the Bible's vision of justice, I hope you can see that too. That's, that's been the hope. Um, it's been, I've been praying weeks and weeks and weeks upon this. And, um, and of course, there's no perfect way to say all things, and I'm just a weak man. And literally, I was saying, I, th- this was my prayer this morning. Lord, there was a time in the Bible, and a jackass started talking, and it was really your word. And today... You know, when I open my mouth and this jackass talks, okay, instead, you will talk. No matter how stupid I might sound, I pray you will talk. Okay? Let's get into it. Part one, captive to ideology and its deceits. Captive to ideology, and it's very deceitful. It's empty deceits, as the Bible puts it. Part two, biblical justice releasing the shackles on our minds and hearts today. Biblical justice, the Bible, a lot of people today in our culture don't understand this. You have to have some bigger truth and bigger something so that you're not just trapped by what your teacher says, by what your professor says, by what the news says, by what your company says. See, that's a shackle. Biblical justice, releasing the shackles on our minds and hearts today. And um, I want to take us back to a really beautiful passage, and I'm going to call that Liberty for the Captives from the True Justice of the Messiah. Liberty for the Captives. So the captives aren't out there. It's, it's, It's happening right here. 
And boy, we need liberty for men captives, okay? Let's go into our passage, Colossians chapter 2. And um, let's, hear, let's just go, verse 6. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Okay? Don't just receive Christ, believe in him as religion. We must walk a certain way. Walk in him. And one of the things I want to say is don't walk in ideology. Don't just walk in the way our culture tells us to walk. Don't be steeped in our culture. Don't be steeped in your own wisdom. Don't be steeped in your own good intentions. Walk in him. Walk in him. Okay? Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. So one of the reasons why we go to church again and again and again, um, there are a lot of people today think, well, because you, you guys like religion, right? I don't know about you, but I don't particularly like religion. Um, you know why I go to church? I go to church because I can't just hear a bunch of words. I need to be rooted and built up. Rooted and built up and established in what I really believe, the faith. Okay? The faith in the gospel, in Christ. Okay? So, I hope that's why you think about it's so important to come to church. Um, just a little quick bonus. Uh, okay, I, of, course, of course the pastor would say this, okay, but uh, I think you should basically never miss church, like ever. <laughs> that sounds crazy. Go on a vacation, go to church. You know, I go on a vacation, it's Sunday morning, it's worship day, I find a good church. <laughs> and that's what we're going to do on Sunday morning. And that's part of the vacation. And one of the reasons why is so that my kids will go, Worship, oh, we never, ever miss worship because we must be rooted and built up in Christ, see? And so, okay, that'll be a little preachy here on that, but okay, just a little picture. Um, let's move on. Let me go to verse 8. Verse 8 is where I want to sit, Okay. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions. Not according to God's word. Not according to the Bible. Not according to what God has revealed about himself. What God thinks about justice. But according to human traditions. According to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So it's basically everything we're doing. We need to be rooted and established, built up, walking in Christ. But one of the really big, one of the really great obstacles to that is that you could be captive by philosophy and empty deceits according to human tradition. Now let me just unpack this word a little bit. Philosophy, uh, that's, actually, that's exactly the right word in the Greek. Uh, it's philosophia in the Greek. And um, in, in Greek, it's actually two words. Philos means love, and Sophia is wisdom. So it literally means the, the love of wisdom. It says, why, why is that bad? You know, captive by the love of wisdom. Doesn't that sound good? And generally, I think, you know, in, in, our, in, in our Western traditions, there's a lot of, there's good philosophy, there's bad philosophy. And, um, and I actually love philosophy, and I love worldviews. But in the Bible here, it's not meant in a good way. It's meant something like this. Don't be captured by the love of your own wisdom. That's what it means. Don't be captured by the love of wisdom according to human traditions. That's what it's saying. There's a human tradition. The culture. These are the smart people. Okay, you, do you understand, like, Plato is truly one of the great, great geniuses of all time, all time. I'm not kidding. I studied Plato, and I studied a bunch of the other philosophers, and really, he, he's up there. He's up there, you know? It's like if, if, if LeBron James is, you know, you make an argument for one of the greatest philosophers of all time, you know, Plato is like in the LeBron James category. But it's still not as good as God. And he's a great philosopher, He's a truly great philosopher. But what about the love of our wisdom today? 
What about the love of our wisdom to, into the Bible? It's perceived, the Bible paints it as something bad. You love your wisdom today. You have a love for your wisdom. You have a love for your, let me use another word, for your education. You have a love for your knowledge. And when, today, when we see that some people have a series of like ideas, a philosophy, and they're wedded to that philosophy and they care about it very much, and especially, you know, if they want to, you know, like play it out and walk inside of it, right? So it's not only Christians that are called to walk in their beliefs. Lots of other people walk inside their beliefs, and it's filled with the love of their own wisdom. And when we don't like somebody else's wisdom philosophy, we have a word for that today. You know what that word is? Ideology. That's our word today. It's the modern, it's the modern 21st century version of what this passage is talking about. So let's just translate. Do not be held captive to ideology. Human, your culture's ideology. That's what it's saying. And if I just said this early in the, in, in the series, and you're like, okay, that sounds really good. It's really, it's, it's basic and elemental. Um, it's a real basic fundamental teaching. And of course, no, nobody else should be just captured by somebody else's ideology. You don't have to be a Christian to understand that's the simple basic wisdom in the world, right? But we've been talking about justice for weeks and weeks and weeks. And there's no way I can say if we're going to really know biblical justice, that we can't talk about the elephant in the room, the elephant in the culture, the elephant when you walk out into work and they're like, oh, there's this training. It's mandatory. And you have to go into this training. And if you have questions, you're going, I'm, I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> ask that question. Because if I ask that question, I'm going to get fired. That's ideology, Okay. That's not honest talk. That's not real education. That's ideology being imposed upon us. And the word is justice. Justice. Right? I'm not making any of this up, am I? I'm not making some strange accusation. I'm just stating a bald fact about 21st century American life. And so this verse is unbelievably relevant. Do not be held captive by human ideology. Now, let's say a little something about held captive. Captive. If it owns you, you're imprisoned. You're captive. Only if you're saying, if you're shackled to this. I, I don't know if you, you know, you know our, our sister on our design team, she made this really beautiful image of, of, our, of, our, of this series. And it was like the release of shackles. And I would say today, it's not physically shackled, but there's a shackles here. And there's shackles here. And it's linked to our bank accounts. It's linked to our identities. It's linked to how we think about our neighbors and our coworkers will think about us. It's linked to what they might say on, our so on social media feeds. It's linked to the fear of being canceled. And I want to ask you, it's very, very easy to be captured, a captive, isn't it? We all would like to think, I'm not held captive. What do you mean? I'm a free person. I'm a free American. I think for myself. I'm not afraid. I'm a good person. You know, um, every time um, I watch a movie today and it, and it presents it presents something like racism, you know, you know, like pre-Jim Crow racism or something like or put in the middle of, and then you see these like white Americans that are just so like so unreconstructed racists. And sometimes when I watch these movies, I can't help but think, you know, we all love watching these movies and we're like, gosh, those people, what is wrong with those people? Or you watch a movie like Schindler's List, Schindler's List. And the Germans had an ideology. They had a philosophia of their own. And then they started rounding up a certain set of people because they were the wrong minority. 
And then when we watch the movie and then we see some of the other Germans are like, oh man, they were captive. They were held captive, weren't they? How could they have possibly have thought that? And now let me ask you this. I think we ought to be humbler, shouldn't we? If we watch those movies and recount that history like that, let me assure you, we're not any better than them. That is a very, very poor and incredibly self-righteous and arrogant and I would say very wicked way of looking at that history because we're humans. We're not different than them. And here we are. So it's like, this is our problem. Oh my gosh, this is a really, really hard problem. Then we watch that movie and going like, hey, how could they have possibly ended up like that? It just, just happens again and again and again in history because this is the way human beings are. We're horrible at justice, horrible. Which is why we have to have confession of sin and why the gospel inside of the confession of sin is so important. Something else that this uh, verse says. Um, Take you captive by philosophy, the love of your own wisdom, captive by ideology, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Elemental spirits of the world. So I, I need to really get to part two of the message, so, but let me just unpack a few elemental spirits of the world. Completely elemental. And what I mean by elemental is totally normal. <laughs> It's completely normal to human life, all the time, everywhere. It's just that each culture just does the elemental spirits of the world a little differently. It's like, like you know, there's a Chinese way of doing the elemental spirits of the world. There's the, the Mexican way of doing the elemental spirits of the world. There's the 18th century uh, American way of doing it. There's the 20th century American way. There's the 21st century American way of doing the elemental spirits of the world. So let me just unpack a few of them. And this is completely normal. This is how it's happening in our time too because we're normal, normally depraved, normally sinful, normally unjust while we're going around saying we're just, okay? Things like this. So there's this attitude that's a completely elemental spirit of the world. It's like this. It's a complete assumption. Sometimes it's said, sometimes it's not said, but it's always there. It's just there. It's like it doesn't even almost need to be said because it's just the way everybody feels. You don't even need to say it. But it's like this. Our, my, my tribes or my culture or my education or our righteousness or our good intentions can fix the world. My my culture can fix the world. Our education can fix the world. My good intentions can fix the world. We can heal the world. After we do this, When we win, when our party wins, when our righteousness wins, when our good intentions win, when our great plans win, when our culture wins, not those bad people over there, not, you know, the blue state people or or the, the red state people, when we win, everything will be better. And then there'll be justice for all and it'll be just great. Elemental spirit of the world. It doesn't work. And the whole thing is built on philosophia, the pride of our own ideology and whole religious worldviews and even whole political movements can be built on this elemental principle and it always is. And it fails again and again and again and again. This is in the Bible. Jesus comes into and he meets the religious elemental you know, this elemental spirit of his day and the people who are the keepers of this elemental spirit of his day, we call them the Pharisees. And then the Pharisees, they plotted to murder Jesus. They got together with the Romans with their elemental spirit. They have the same elemental spirit. So the Jewish elemental spirit and the Roman elemental spirit got together and they murdered Jesus because He's an utter offense against this elemental spirit. And they were the Pharisees. Today, we have our own version of the Pharisees. It's just that they're secular, secular religious ideology, secular ideology of justice, okay? All right, a few more. 
Another elemental spirit. Power solves and fixes the world. Power. The Bible says grace fixes the world. Redemption from God heals the world. But the elemental spirit of the world? Power. How about another one? Uh, what the educated and the wise, because, you know, we, you know, we have to be lovers of the wise, and of course it's our wisdom, and of course the most wise, which is the most educated, what the educated and the wise think and care about should be imposed upon everyone by power. They're the best. They're our best. They're the best of the best. They're the most educated. They're the most who have the, the wisdom. We love our wisdom. They have the most of our wisdom. So we should put them into power and then impose by power the ideology. So what the educated and the wise think and care about should be imposed by power on everybody and the full complexity of humanity, well, we don't have to worry too much about that. We don't have to worry too much about that. Well, I don't even know if we need to see it. We'll just run right over it. They don't actually say that, but that's always the result. Elemental spirit of the world. Couple more. Politics is more important than faith. See, like in the news, the news comes out. What's important comes out in the news. Politics is like the headliner in the news every single night, isn't it? You get the newspaper. What, what headlines on the front, front page? Politics. Occasionally, it's something else like pandemic. But then the next story is how politics is going to handle the pandemic, right? Politics. It's like the most important thing. And when you go, front page story, hey, this church has a great message for the world about how we can have redemption and forgive each other and have great peace and love even though we're different ethnicities. That's, is that the news? It's never the news. Because the elemental spirit of the world is power is more important than faith. In fact, our culture regularly doesn't understand that the most important issue in your life is what you worship. You're deeply, fundamentally spiritual. And so then they don't understand that idolatry is a big, 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 gigantic problem, including if you don't even believe in God because then you're just going to make money your idolatry or your ideology your idolatry or your, or your, 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 your gender your idolatry, which is going on all the time. All right? So I'll just stop there. You know, the pride makes them overlook the idolatry because there's all this pride and then there's the ideology. They don't understand the ideology. It's like, that's really interesting. Your ideology is idolatry. That's really interesting. It's, it's actually idolatry. And what's idolatry? It's to make lesser things ultimate things and then crush everything else on the basis to take those lesser things and make them everything. But the Bible says make Christ all in all. Not justice. Certainly not Human justice. Okay. Let's go to part two. Here we go. Um, part two. Biblical justice releasing the shackles on our minds and hearts today. Let me start by saying this. Um, do you think you're a good BS detector? Are you good at detecting people's lies? Um, are you good at that? And I want to say this. Um, the Bible is the great BS detector. The Bible. It's the greatest BS detector of all time. And so that's why governments that want to control other people, you know what the first thing they try to do? Is get the Bible out of here. <laughs> again and again and again and again in history. Powerful people who want to use the elemental spirits of the world to impose their ideology and their BS. We got to get rid of the Bible. Come on, let's get the Bible out of here. Don't let anybody teach that stuff. Okay, well, I guess we'll have to let them publish it and sell it, but we certainly won't ever let them teach it. They won't even tell you something even really, really basic, like the best selling book every year, it's the Bible. New York Times, you know, our, our most famous newspaper. We have this thing called the New York Times bestseller, bestselling list. Let me, if they gave you the correct right statistic, number one should be the Bible. It'd be the Bible all the time. But they don't ever tell that to you. You know why? Because if they would show the Bible's number one every single year, it's like the Bible was the one more this year, last year, 
if you're like, Bible, Bible, Bible. So the Bible, always number one. Then you know what people might do? Some, there might be some kid in the middle of New York whose atheist parents would go, he's like, can't find him reading the Bible. He's like, hey, it was the number one bestseller this year and last year, so I'm reading it to find out what the heck is in it. Why is everybody so interested in it? The Bible is the number one. It's the best BS detector, okay? So I want us to say, let's use it. For 14 weeks, we've talked about um, biblical justice. And uh, there's just, a, let me just see, there's a, it gives you a very accessible way of thinking about how, what does it look like? What does genuine justice from God looks like? And you guys are, a lot of you are really smart people. You guys are like, like wonderful, brilliant people. But honestly, we could bring all the kids back in here and say, hey, kids. It says a lot, again and again and again and again and again and again. Biblical justice focuses on certain kinds of people. The fatherless, the widow, and let's just say today, we don't have to call them just widows because it's a specific kind of very, very vulnerable woman. So let's just say the fatherless, very vulnerable women of our times. And three, those who are poor, and downtrodden minorities. Overlooked, forgotten about, don't have much power in our culture, minorities. Those are the three kinds. And to really get in there and not on the basis of ideology or what the, what the newspaper says or even what, what, the, what you know, your professors say, what's actually going on in there? What's actually going on? And if we start just using this let me tell you something. You're going to find out there's some really horrible, horrible deceit. You know, the, 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 the passage says, do not be held captive. Do not be made a prisoner. Do not be held shackles, shackled by ideology, the love of our own wisdom, which has got a bunch of empty deceit. It's got a lot of deceit. Oh, boy, is that true. And I want to say one more other thing, too. Ideology is in your mind. And since it's in your mind, and then it shapes your heart, the ideology is the most powerful kind of shackle. So if we chain you up with an actual literal chain and chain you up in your house, or put bars up in your house, you can see the shackle. You can go like, terrible. But that's not even close to the worst kind of shackle. The worst kind of shackle is the one that's in your head and you can't see it. And there's nothing bigger in life that will show you that the things that you, are, that you believe inside of your mind are actually chains. They're actually shackles filled with empty deceit. Deceit. And it's going on all the time in our culture. And what I want to do is just point some of it out, okay? I'm going to point some of it out. So, I'll point it out using biblical justice. And this will just help you to see that I'm, you know, it's not like, oh, here's the pastor, and, you know, he's a smart guy, and blah, blah, blah. Okay, no, no, you, you, can, you all can do this. All of you can do this. Just takes a little bit of, like, first, knowing the Bible so you now have the most powerful BS detector that can unshackle your mind and your heart, and then you're no longer held captive, and then now you can, like, pop open, you can, like, uncover the deceits. Okay? So here we go. Here's the first one. So here, let, let me get right into it here. Do you know what the greatest killer of black Americans is today? What is the greatest killer of black Americans today? So, actually, as I was thinking about this part of the sermon, I was thinking, like, you know, like, I hope this is what I'm going to say is correct. I was like, I was like maybe, maybe heart disease, <laughs> okay? But I'm talking about human beings killing human beings. What is the means of literally, literally killing black people? Hmm? The biggest one today in America. You know what that is? 
It's abortion. It's abortion. It's a fact. It's a very readily available fact. You don't have to go do a lot of homework. Today we have this little thing called Google. And you can just say, number of abortions. And boom, you can get the answer. You can even say, number of abortions, black Americans. Boom. And you're like, oh, okay, okay, well, okay, just go down a third. Oh, there it is, there it is. You can find it. So I did this a little while back. I think these numbers are about three years old or so. I came across an article, pretty good article. I think the source is a good one. I think this is 2018, maybe 2017. So the data is about three or four years old. But you get, you'll get the picture. That year, 800,000 abortions in America. 800,000. Okay? What percentage of those abortions were of black people in America? About 40%. So here's the math. For those of you who are, you know, are you smart now, people? Cha-ching! You know, the, math, the number's coming up right away in your head, right? So I'm, I'm not that good at it, but let me give you the number. It's more than 300,000. One year. In one year, through that one means alone, okay, through that one means abortion, more than 300,000 Black kids were killed. Totally legal. Completely legal. It's, in fact, it's subsidized. It's subsidized. Right. And um, do they ever talk about that in school? Do you ever, did you ever get that from the lovers of our philosophy? Do you get that in college? Do you get that in, in high school? Do you get that in elementary school? Do you get that in the news? It's never talked about. It's never talked about, but I, you know, I'm not making this up. It's just, it's, it's just such a, it's a readily available fact. And now let's just think a little bit more about this. So let's just, just, let's just do a little, I, I thought just, let's put this in a little bit of context. Do you know how many people have died of COVID this year within the last, of so far in America? So I looked it up. CDC number, CDC, about 510,000 out of COVID, 28.3 million cases, okay? And we talk about it, and that number is like, boom, boom, boom. It's like every county knows the number. <laughs> How many cases? How many have died? Every county everywhere knows that number. Why? Because we care. We care very much. How many people died? of abortion. Well, that number is available, but it's not, on, it's not on the news all the time. We don't talk about it all the time because we don't care. And how many black people? It's, it's a lot in one year, more than 300,000. So just, just understand this. Just under, abortion has been legal and it's been around a long time, right? So just do the math. So just year by year or by year by year, it, 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 it's... It, it's millions. Think about that the next time you watch Schindler's List. Next time you watch Schindler's List. And you see the Jews getting put in the gas chamber. And I know I'm getting really, really like, mm, like heavy here, but, and I'm not saying, oh, that's all like, oh, like this. That, that's us. That's us. That's us. So, um, let's point out some other things. In abortion, every single one of those kids is fatherless. They're all fatherless. If there was a daddy in there, they wouldn't be getting killed. If a daddy who's really being a daddy would be like, hey, that's my kid. <laughs> I love him or her. Fatherless. Why do we have so many abortions? Because the women are so vulnerable. They're tremendously vulnerable. So we have this ministry, and it's in like, most major cities have it, different versions of it. 
Crisis Pregnancy Center. You know who they're for? Vulnerable women. Crisis Pregnancy Center. You know what that is? Justice. That's what it is. God's kind of justice. So, I hope nobody here in our church thinks, oh, we're political, that's why, you know, you know we announce, you know, March for Life. It's God's kind of justice for vulnerable women and the fatherless. And the third bucket, minorities. What's the percentage of black Americans in America? It's about 13%. What's the percentage of black people are getting aborted? 40%. A huge percentage of the 800,000 that year, you could add it up. The data's there. They're minorities. Hispanic, pretty big chunk. So, fatherless, vulnerable women, minorities. And um, you know, it's been around a long time. I watched a, a video a pastor friend of mine sent me about three years ago. It's on YouTube. It's not just one of them. There's a bunch of them. And it was a, a woman. She, she was an older woman. And she used to own abortion clinics. And she talked about what she did to make money through abortion clinics. And she straight up says, oh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of the customers are black. And she talks about, like, Planned Parenthood. The incredible thing, and she, she talks about how, you know, sometimes bad things happen in the abortion, and then you've got to just shudder the, the, this poor girl out there who's bleeding, her, her, her uterus is punctured, and just, you know, it's like, well, because it's about making money. And she did this for years until she got saved and became a Christian. And so we have very, very powerful people in our culture. And some of the groups make money. They make money from this a lot. And they make money from it because the customers, vulnerable women, have to come and pay for it to kill the fatherless kids and then there's very, very powerful people in our culture who say, hey, we all should pay for it. It's called taxes. So we are subsidizing this. And a woman like her, that's how she makes money. She makes money from the customers and through the government. In other words, through her fellow citizens. That's how you can have 800000 <laughs> It's a fast, booming business. And it's deeply protected by powerful people, and they never, ever talk about it. They never tell you this, ever. So, let's hear this term. Very, very popular today. Systemic injustice. It's real. I'm telling you, it's real. Systemic injustice is very, very real, and it is a horrible, deceitful wickedness. But it isn't what our culture is saying. It looks like this. The worst, one of the most horrifically awful forms of systemic injustice is this. Nobody ever talks about it. Um, so I'm sorry to get so heavy. I'm barely just holding it together right now. First one. Let me offer you a second one. All right, what's the second common way the black young people get killed? What's the second common way? You know, a very, very, I don't know if it's the most, but a second one, which is very common, is they're shot by other black young people. You all know that. How do a lot of young black people die? especially boys, 
men. I don't even, are they even men? They're boys. They get shot by other black people. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. Nobody cares. Is that part of race, you know, is that part of, 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 of the racial systemic injustice? In fact, you're not even supposed to talk about it. <laughs> because if you talk about it, they're victims. Remember, they're victims. They're all victims. And in fact, there are some intellectuals, they talk about it, and we even have a word for it, black-on-black -black crime. But if you say black-on-black -black crime, if you say that at work, you, you might get fired. If you say that in your university class, your professor might you know, give you a bad, bad grade. Black-on-black -black crime. But, but they're human beings, and this is the problem. If we're going to have an honest conversation about the problem, and we actually love our neighbors, love, love the minority as yourself. Love them as yourself. If we love them as ourselves, we're like, oh my goodness, this is a, a really, really bad problem. And we can't talk about it. We can't talk about it. Why? Because there's an ideology that says you can't talk about it because they're victims. Is that justice? And yet, and yet, if one, if one black youth gets killed by a white police officer, regardless of whether it was justified or not in some way as of the actions of the police officer, we completely go crazy. The whole country goes crazy. Um, in preparation for this, I, 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 I lost it, unfortunately. I have to find it. I came across a, a YouTube video. The pastor was white. He was a really interesting guy. The pastor was white. But, um, but um, he served in a black church. He grew up in the black church. So you look at his face, totally white. But his culture, inside of his heart, he's actually really black. That's really interesting. All his mentors, the ones who trained him in ministry, are black. The, the men who, almost all the men who hands on him to ordain him to be a pastor, they're black. And so here he was, and in this video, you know what he was pointing out? This, I'd never heard anybody else point this out. So which black kids kill other black kids? It's a gang problem. And I said in, in our sermon series, the gang problem is a fatherless problem. Because the gangs are father substitutes, right? So, you know what he said? He pointed out, he goes, oh, yeah, we have serious race problems in America. He says, we have this music. It's really, really popular. It celebrates black kids shooting other black kids. It makes a lot of money. This, this white pastor is actually black. You get what I'm saying? That's what he was saying. And I thought about that, and I said, I remember in the 80s, 1980s, some of you guys weren't even born yet, okay? In the 1980s, this thing started becoming popular. It was called Gangsta, Gangsta. It's always Gangsta. I'm not that cool, cool all right? Gangsta rap. And it was very misogynistic. Celebrated rape and shooting and killing. And... America just ate it up. It became, just started making massive money. And you know what this white pastor who's actually black was saying? He was saying if there was, if gangsta rap was white, our country would go crazy. We'd completely flip out. It's like, like everything would go crazy. We would have to, we'd have to put it in the schools and the universities and everything. Because the majority culture in America are like, my, my kid can't be into gangster rap because that's celebrating violence. And then when he goes out there, he might have some friends who get into, who get a gun, and then he might actually get shot. That's what he was pointing out. And when I read that and listened to his video, I was just fat, flabbergasted. And I listened to him and I said, he's right. He's right. But today, the cops, they're, they're the problem, aren't they? 
I don't, and, and I don't know if you know this, there's, there are plenty of examples of, of a white guy getting either accidentally or not so accidentally shot by police. So you could take, you know, there's some famous name, Michael Brown. There's, there's a, a, a white guy out there that the story is almost exactly the same. Never makes the news. Never makes the news. So when I hear these kinds of things, it's like, we really love black people, don't we? White America really cares about black people, don't they? So I'm going to get in big trouble for saying this. They don't give a rip about black people. Whenever a black youth gets shot by a white cop, you know why the whole world gets crazy? Because the dominant culture is run by white folks, and it's about white guilt. It's about white guilt. And so, since we don't actually have a power from God, it's only human traditions, only human traditions have to solve and fix this problem. And we're the only ones that know how to solve and fix this problem. And since we regularly use politics to solve this problem, and since all the smartest people know how to solve this problem, then, then, then we're going to solve guilt. They, don't, they never say it's about guilt, it's about justice. Next time you hear racial ju justice, I want you to hear white guilt. Racial justice is guilt. In America, racial justice, racial justice, systemic justice, it's guilt. It's guilt. It's guilt. And no matter of ideology or politics can wash away that guilt. It can't. Never. You know who can wash away guilt? Jesus. But they don't, they don't want Jesus. And if you're listening to this message and you're black, I'm so sorry. 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 We're such a terrible country. You know, most of the people in this room, you're not white. Are you American? If you're American, we are filled with the guilt. You get it? We are filled with the guilt. It's our guilt. It's not like, okay, I wasn't Jim Crow. I watched the movie. I wasn't that white guy that like, looked down on black people. I only have good intentions toward black people. Because <laughs> you have good intentions toward black people, now you have righteousness, right? But if you are part of the we of our country, and the we of our country does this, we're guilty. When God looks at us, he's like, you're, oh, you're American. Racist, unjust. You use the word justice, but it's really guilt. Guilt with no atonement, no hope from God. And so, regularly, this is our discourse. White people filled with guilt, Talk to black people filled with, with, with anger. And then when they continue to use this method, black people get more angry. <laughs> and why shouldn't they? Because these folks are using these folks to cover up their guilt. That's what's going on. And if you understand the gospel and you understand that there has to be atonement. There has to be a washing. There has to be, a, there has to be some answer for this. So then, then we can have real forgiveness, real reconciliation. Two people who are very different from each other can forgive each other. We can really become one nation under God. One people that really love each other. That's what, that's, this is how it looks like. But it will never happen through ideology. Never. Ever. This is just going to get worse, actually. That's where we're at. Okay. Um, let me just say one more thing, and we need some good news, and I'm, I'm hurting. Um, I love my country. 
My country's America, by the way. If you're uh, not, you look at me, you're like, oh, he means Korea, right? No. My country's America. These are our sins. And they are really bad. I want to say this thing, and then let's we go to good news. Um, there's, this is what's going on in our country right now. Ever since I was a boy, there was a definition of justice that was secular. It was the secular ideology of justice. It was called liberal or liberalism. That's a general word. It was the most dominant understanding of justice in the secular categories. You go to university, and they taught you liberal justice. And liberal justice was much more compatible with the Bible. It was compatible with this part of the Bible. So that's what Jews and Christians. You had conservative Christians. You had liberal Christians. You had conservative Jews. You had liberal Jews. And then you had atheists. They all bought liberal vision of secular justice. It was an ideology. It wasn't fully true because it doesn't fully agree with the Bible, but it agreed a lot more with the Bible. And that kept the peace in our country. But recently, there's a new kid on the block, a whole new vision and understanding, an ideology, a whole new philosophia of secular justice. And it doesn't even have a good name for it yet. And I could share with you a series of essays. Some brilliant people are really starting to touch up upon this. So it's not like just an opinion of mine, but this is what's going on. And this new form of justice, some have called it a postmodern view of justice. Some call it a neo-Marxist view of justice. Some say that this is the critical race theory view of justice. It's all the same. It's all the same. This is becoming the main one now. And it's demanded upon us. It's serious business. It's very, very serious business. Uh, I, I can share with you some articles and essays, some really brilliant essays, okay? And I'll do that this week. But just, just to, I'm going to just give you some names. And so I already put some videos, and I, I urge you, please watch all these videos. I, watched, I put up three videos onto this playlist, Biblical Justice. And, and it talks about different secular theories of justice, different secular ideologies of justice. And I talk about this, I'm, I'm talking about this move from liberal to postmodern. And I'm unpacking it, in this case, I'm unpacking it through Pastor Timothy Keller. But I think he's right on. Right? But he's not the only one. Non-Christians are seeing it too. There's a woman that I'm reading. Her name is Barry Weiss, B-A-R-I, Weiss. She's Jewish. She's observant Jew. She's religiously a Jew. She's also lesbian. I'm pretty sure she identifies as liberal Democrat. But she's liberal. In other words, she believes in liberal vision of justice, not postmodern vision of justice. She's in a fight. Oh, she's pointing it out. So somebody else. Um, two other names I want to offer to you. Glenn Lowry, John McWhorter. They regularly have these videos. These are two of the most brilliant thinkers of our time. Glenn Lowry, I think he's in his 60s. He's black. He was the first tenured black professor at Harvard. His expertise is economics. He's a Christian. I think he's a little bit more on the, he's, he's kind of on the moderate conservative side. Okay? His, his, his discussion partner is John McWhorter. John McWhorter got his uh, PhD right up here at the, uh, up the street at Stanford. He's in linguistics. That's his expertise. So Glenn Lowry's a Christian, moderate conservative. John McWhorter is an atheist. He says he's a liberal Democrat. Again, liberal. Liberal, not postmodern. When they talk about these issues, they are very, they're in a fight. So it's not just that Christians can begin to see this. It's happening all around. And I'm just trying to show to you that for weeks upon weeks, we built this thing in the Bible so that you can read somebody who's an atheist and go, oh, he's, how about another name? Jonathan Haidt. H-A-I-D-T. His expertise? Psychology. You know what his, his expertise? Moral psychology. You know what he did? He studied different world's views 
on moral psychology and their practices of how they practice their morality and then the psychology inside of it. And you know what? He didn't use the Bible as his BS detector. He used moral psychology as his BS detector. So because he's an expert in moral psychology, he looks at the ideology of today and goes, oh, his BS detector just starts blinking like crazy. But if you have the Bible, we can read atheists and go, this, is, this man has wisdom. We could read a lesbian Jewish woman and go, she has wisdom. We could respect our neighbors. They're trying to fight for some, a better kind of justice. And they know something very dangerous and serious is going on. And so, brothers and sisters, this is where we're at. We, of course, do this under Jesus. But our neighbors desperately need us. Your coworkers need you. Your kids need you. This is where we are, okay? Okay, let me close. I want to take you to a, a close with a, a beautiful passage, which is actually the theme text of this series. The theme text of the series is Luke chapter 4. And so let me take you there. And I'm, I'm well past time. Boy, do we need it. I need this. We need this. This is not of the elemental spirit of the world. This is not human tradition, right? Luke chapter 4, verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. That's Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. These are such incredible words. Beautiful words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. That's to say he has made me the Messiah. To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know what the year of the Lord's favor is? There was a year called the year of Jubilee. And everybody who was in debt, everybody who was in debt, you know what it is? God would say, all your debts are paid. That's what you'd see. It's incredible. You're poor. You're minority. You're fatherless. You're just like drowning in debt. A year would come when God says, it's all paid. You're free. Brothers and sisters, then let's go to verse 20. And he rolled up a scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Did you hear that? Has been fulfilled past tense. Real justice has come. The shackles have been removed by Jesus. See, he shows up. I mean, if you don't believe, if you want to just believe Jesus is a good teacher, he's he, C.S. Lewis. Jesus can't, doesn't let you do that. He's either a liar or a lunatic or a lord because he must be a lunatic. If you don't actually believe he's the actual Messiah from God, this is wacko, wacko talk. Put him in, lock him up. It's time to lock them up. Unless what he's saying is true. This is Yahweh in the flesh. The one who gave us real justice. And we, with the worst kind of captivity, captivity to our philosophia, to the love of our own wisdom, according to the elemental spirits of human tradition, of human self-righteousness, he came to say, let me free you. And to all of you, especially Americans, with your tremendous debt, your incredible debt, you owe, you owe generations upon generations upon generations of black Americans. You owe generations and generations 
of Native Americans. There will be a year the debt will be paid. Jesus came. He did not pay it with money. He did not pay it with ideology. He paid it with his blood. So that his righteousness would cover up all our unrighteousness. His true justice would heal and pour over and give to us by grace. In the year of Jubilee, the time of Jubilee has come because Jesus has come. The real question is, will we believe it? And then will we walk in it? And then will we be rooted and established in it? And then we will not be captive. We will just break off all the shackles and say, let's offer real justice, better justice to our neighbors, to our neighbors who are black, to our neighbors who are Native American, to our neighbors who are white, who are so afraid of the guilt, to ourselves who are so afraid of guilt. The shackles, the captivity, we are released by Jesus. So brothers and sisters, this is our hope. He is our hope. He is real justice. He is your freedom. It will not be easy. Let me close this way. There is a, there's a, a, a young brother in the Lord. I took him out to lunch yesterday. Recently, he got into a Naval Academy. Do you know how hard it is to get into Naval Academy? It's crazy hard. You, have to, you need a, a congressperson or a senator to choose you. He got in. He said it was one of the happiest days of his life. And I was so happy. I, mean, I took him out to lunch. We're here eating pho outdoors in Cupertino. It was awesome. But the whole time, he's in pain. He's troubled. He's troubled. He's troubled because our country, because this kid is smart. He studies. He knows what's going on, right? And so he just says there's so much BS running all the way up to the top. And it's both on this side of the political aisle and that side of the political aisle. And so he was just like, so he, I thought I was going to get together with him. We're going to laugh. and We're going to have a great time. But the whole time he was telling me about just so much of the horrible BS that he knows about. And he's deeply troubled. And he's, I'm just about to give nine years of my life to my country. (laughs) And it's like this. Wow. This young man is about to make an incredible decision. This is at stake. So, I want to um, take you to what I, I want to close with the words I said to him, and it's for all of us. Okay? I want to close this way. Remember that your life is not about how comfortable or how successful, successful, or at ease, how much ease and comfort that you get for your 80 or so years. It's about loving God with all our hearts because he first loved us through Jesus and he bought us. We are not our own, but belong wholly to him, bought with the very, very precious blood of Christ. So live for him and in loving him and in following him, let's love our neighbors because that's what he wants. You know how we show us that we love Jesus? Love our neighbors, especially the fatherless, vulnerable women, and the minorities. You were born to love and serve him and courageously love others in a time such as this. Of course, our times and our crazy is, and our country is, has, has, is rife with crazy corruption and wickedness. But you were born and set apart by no less than God himself to become his and live for him in a time and a culture that's rife with the ideology like this. That was the conversation I had with this very precious 
young man yesterday. Revived church, these are the words I hope that you will hear and remember. And if we do, your coworkers are not going to clap for you. Maybe even other Christians will start pointing their fingers at you. Let me tell you, someone very, very important is going to clap. And you know who that is? It's Jesus. And by faith, hear that applause from him. And let's live for him. Let's pray. Lord, I'm really afraid. I'm not afraid of our ideologies or our neighbors or being canceled, but I'm afraid that our country is dying. I'm afraid, I haven't said this in front of our church, but I've written it on discussion groups, that we are America, but maybe we're not actually America, and America has rolled over and we're just a zombie now. Lord, I love our country. Please forgive us, for we have been horrible and poor stewards. But in our weakness, help us to repent and remove the shackles from our minds and our hearts. Let us live freely, courageously, joyfully, humbly, not returning hatred for hatred, but instead returning their hatred with our forgiveness that we've received from you. When they are filled with anger and self-righteousness, would you fill us with your righteousness and then give us your peace and your hope and help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Help us to live the minority as ourselves. Help us to love the fatherless as ourselves. Help us to love deeply vulnerable women as ourselves. Help us to love our neighbors something like the way you have loved us. And even when we do poorly, even when we fall down, help us remember it's all by grace because the debt is paid. You have brought Jubilee. Thank you. We love you. Help us to live in the hope of this be rooted and established in this and live life like this. In Jesus' name.